In the rapidly changing world, healthcare needs are constantly evolving and clinicians need to find new ways to deliver care. And often the best way to do that is by looking back. Without Marie Curie, there would be no pioneering improvements to medical imaging today. If Edward Jenner didn't inoculate a 13-year-old with cowpox, there wouldn't even be a space for Professor Ian Fraser's cervical cancer vaccine. Our clinicians are standing on the shoulders of those who came before them, learning, growing and advancing. Hindsight isn't 2020. It's our future. As budgets tighten and the burden on the health system increases, local services need to be creative in finding new ways to deliver care. But what's the key to success in this rapidly changing environment? Improving services to meet the specific needs of their local community. Bureaucracy is often cited as the reason for many a delay, as the relevant people up the chain do the necessary checks and balances to approve things. Gold Coast Health's Kimberly Pierce and Kate White identified these delays and explored whether devolving some governance would help streamline processes and improve capacity. And the findings of their pilot project will astound you. About 21 years ago, Timothy Porter O'Grady said this, in essence, what it means is if you truly want to make a difference, then you need to empower the people at closer to the point at which you want the decision to be made. Within hospitals, as we know, they are typically hierarchical and bureaucratic and always tangled in red tape. And what happens on the Gold Coast is we had an issue in our orthopaedic department. We had a problem with the budget, with prosthetics, with um, the cancellation of elective surgery because of the demand on emergency surgery and waiting lists that were going out of control. So I went to meet with the orthopods to say, you know, what's going on? They weren't very happy when they met me because their view was, well, we're not allowed to make the decisions. We have to go through a lot of processes just to open an outpatient clinic. So I went away and looked at some of the things they said, and they were absolutely right. It took seven signatures just to open an outpatient clinic. So there we are saying, your outpatient clinics are out of control. They're saying, but I can't influence that. I've got to get all these permissions. The nursing staff said that for them to get recruit a base-grade nurse, they had to get five different signatures, and it could take up to 110 days just for them to recruit. They then said, and you're making us accountable for a budget that we have no influence over at all. Somebody else does the budget, but we get told off for it. So there were a lot of delays. They were extremely frustrated. So what we decided to do, because I have long felt that nursing unit managers particularly should be allowed to make decisions to run their own ward without having multiple people impacting on that. And the same is true of the medical staff and allied health staff. So what we did is we said, right, we're going to try shared governance. It's never been tried as a team across the world. It's been trialled in, like, nursing alone or allied health alone, predominantly in America. 
So what we did is we got the whole multidisciplinary team together and we developed a capability framework. We partnered with Griffith University to help us do that. We purposely took the domains of the magnet principles and we then said, right, we're going to assess it. In the implementation, it was extremely interesting who was upset and who wasn't. So we said to the nurse unit managers, we're going to devolve all financial and HR delegations down to you. So they could make the decisions of hiring. We found that the time frame for hiring went down dramatically. We did put an aid on over the top because we were across three sites, lots of theatres, lots of outpatients. But the role of the aid on was almost to case manage those different elements for orthopaedics. The other thing we did is we put in a business manager. We purposely made them subordinate to the nurse unit manager, the medical director, and allied health, so that if the nurse unit manager needed something, they had someone to ask to go and do it for them and give them the information. The byproduct of this, too, was we also wanted to see whether it would change culture within the team environment. If we look at the outcomes, the dark blue, navy blue line is their pre-scores. So what we asked was, how do you see yourself as running the, the unit? And we asked that of the different groups. Now you'll see on the dark blue is that they had varying levels of competence at the beginning, which you would expect. Then if you look at the middle line, this was three months later, you'll see that it changes, and that's because they suddenly started to learn the things that they thought they knew that actually they didn't know. And then by with the time we got to nine months, you can see that in terms of confidence levels, it went up all across the board. So I'm going to hand over to Kate because one of the other big issues that they wanted was they said, we don't want to be going into DSS Necto, this system, that system. We want one system. We don't want to know what's happening in general surgery. We only want to know what's happening in orthopaedics. So we want a system that we can use that is user-friendly and gives us all that information in one spot. And so we partnered with Healthcare Logic, and they worked directly with the clinical teams to develop this system, which Kate is going to show you. Central to the shared governance model is taking accountability for the KPIs. And to do this, you need to lead and take actions, and you need the data to inform what actions you're going to take, and also to measure how effectively these are in a timely way. And one of our observations when we were working, not just with orthopaedics, but with, with many of the clinical teams that we work with, is that they're totally disconnected with the data that they need and they use. And I'm not saying they're disconnected with the KPIs, although not saying that they love all of the KPIs that they're given, but specifically with the data. And why that's surprising is because surgeons and medical officers are all scientists. Scientists love number. They use it every single day to inform what they do to deliver care. But it was the data that they just couldn't see themselves in and then they couldn't use it and they couldn't form decisions. And it was things like monthly reports that were delivered to them six weeks in arrears or what happened when they treated people six weeks ago and the outcome it's having on elective surgery now or when they took leave all of the numbers just didn't make sense to them and they couldn't make it add up in terms of going next steps 
So we made them their own environment and you can start to see the outcome. So what you're looking at there is each of those coloured circles is the information that we bring in and we created a, basically a visualisation layer over the top of a database that sucks in information from all different sources. And of course we had the KPIs that they set up around shared governance but we also included access information so they could look in and see how, they were, how quickly they were working with the ED colleagues, obviously their elective surgery outpatients, they could see the inpatient beds, finance, clinical incidents and one that was so close to their heart was their patient reported outcome measures and the patient reported experience measures. And just to start to see, so when we gave them this, some of the outcomes that we could start to see within the data that they could see themselves was improved budget control, improved theatre productivity, reduced clinical incidence, improved autonomy. So I'm going to show you some charts that make it look like elective surgery kind of went off the rails, but we're really proud of what happened and how they clawed it back together. And then obviously really high patient reported outcomes, which is possibly the best outcome. So the two lines converging. So you can see at the start down this end in July 2018, we had this highly variable situation. And then towards the end in July 19, which is when we used the controls, you can see those two lines coming back together. So it's basically showing you that their spend was in line with their budget. What you're looking at here is a theatre utilisation trend and what you can see maybe in this very small thing is that their theatre utilisation over that time has increased and clawed back about 2%. So they're improving more. Now that seems low, but when you're talking about operating minutes and time, it's a good gain and we're seeing more of that over time. We're seeing reduced clinical incidents over time through their department. So we track all of these by wards, by location, and you can see that trending down. Um, and this is where we see some um, elective surgery by category waitlist charts. Now you're looking at the, the series on the side is actually quite small. It goes up because that scale isn't too bad. But what we saw is at times it went up, but it was the first time we've seen that this department work independently to develop their own solutions, bring it back into line and now keep it under control. And this is the prems and proms, and I know you can't understand what this chart is, but it's basically showing you that the red line is the baseline, and we are operating on people when they are, have the least function, and over time, every time we're surveying them, we can see that their function is coming down and their risk scores are coming down, so it's a very, very good outcome. So the next steps, the orthopaedic evaluation is complete and the final draft is under review. ICU is now in the shared governance program with their own environment and that's going really well and that's a unique build again because obviously some of those, certainly the KPIs are very different. The capability framework's in its final stages. Do you want to come up? Come up. <laughs> um, so what's happening is we're getting an overwhelming amount of other areas, specialty areas that want to come into the program. The capability framework, now it's been validated by the universities. We want to roll it out across the whole site, but we do need to look at what the impact analysis is on the workforce, particularly middle management and senior nursing. And we need to work very closely with the unions, and we're about to go through a process of reviewing that now. Okay. This is a, a beautiful gentleman who, if you've worked at the Gold Coast, you'll know he's recently retired. His name is Don Pitchford. And to be honest, when I first met Don about five years ago, I was absolutely terrified he, of him because he has absolutely no reservations in terms of telling you what he really thinks. So we're so, 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 so proud of this. So I'm just going to show you. I'll press the button and it's right in front Here's of the medical This is the tool that we have needed to allow us to be more efficient. And by being more efficient, we improve patient care, and that's what we're all about. But if I need to do a presentation, the platform allows me to do bar charts or graphs, and the information is right there, and you know, a picture sometimes is worth a thousand words. 
I keep myself informed by just looking at the trends. And the information is just so much more than what I would get from picking up the phone or asking somebody in another department. I think that it will work. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.